Hello and welcome to the Bikes or Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick and I'm your host. And I'm excited to have RJ Sawyer on the podcast today. You may be familiar with him through a lot of his writing, his photography, and videography. He's been featured in bikepacking.com, the Bikepacking Journal, and many other places. And I have personally been a really big fan of his work for a while. Um, I really appreciate his storytelling um, through all of those mediums. And just a few weeks ago, he released his most recent film. It's called Along for the Ride. And it features him and his three-year-old son, Ollie, as they tackle the Rexy Gravel Race, which is a 200-mile mixed-terrain race that starts in Fruta, Colorado, and ends in Moab, Utah. And there is a time limit of 24 hours to complete it. And so RJ and Ollie actually did the Rexy gravel race last year, uh, but the film was just released a few weeks ago. Now, what's kind of cool about this is that the 2022 version of Rexy gravel is going down tomorrow, October 8th. And so there's a chance that there's going to be some people out there riding the Rexy tomorrow and might be listening to this episode. So um, I hope that timing, which was completely by accident, uh, goes on to benefit some of the riders out there. And just remember, while you're out there challenging yourself and pushing your pace and maybe questioning your life decisions, Uh, Just remember that RJ and his son Ollie uh, did this just last year, and uh, that's what today's episode is about, and I thoroughly enjoyed this one as a father, um, as a parent. I think that these stories and these examples are extremely valuable, and I think RJ's um, example is is a wonderful example, and also this film does a great job of encapsulating that experience and goes on to really inspire me and many, many other people out there as well. So um, that is today's episode, and I can't wait to get to it. But let us take a moment to thank the people that made today's episode possible. And so this week, we'd like to thank our newest patron. Uh, We have one new patron this week, and that honor goes to Alexander Raiden up there in Ontario, Canada. Thank you so much for signing up to be a sustaining member of the podcast And if you value these episodes and would like to be a supporting member and help us produce these on a regular basis, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Today's episode is also brought to us by my favorite bike rack company, Kuat, of course. They don't all they don't just support your favorite podcast, they support your favorite bike too. We have talked a lot about the new Piston Pro X, um, but have you seen that they released the Piston SR? And it's essentially the single rail version of the Piston Pro X. So you can expect the same great features like all metal construction, Tiger Drylac automotive powder coat, a genuine Kashima coat, 
and hydro-pneumatic ratchet arms that hug the tires and don't touch your bike frame. And these hold up to a 5-inch tire up to a 53-inch wheelbase and comes fully assembled, ready to go. So, Kuat has taken the Piston Pro X and elevated it, literally. When you're shopping for a rack, remember Kuat because you love your bike. All right, I'm excited for today's episode and good luck to everybody that is doing the Rexy gravel race tomorrow. Hopefully this episode will be inspirational and motivational for you to help you get to the finish line. And I uh, also want to give a shout out to everybody who is doing the Arkansas High Country this weekend. I wish I could be there. Um, the editor for our podcast, Ben Crannell, is going to be out there giving it a go. So uh, I'll be doing all the editing here for the next couple of weeks, which will be challenging. And I apologize in advance because uh, we don't have our ace editor, uh, but he's off doing bigger and better things. So good luck to everybody out there. Uh, keep the wheels down and uh, have fun riding your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. There we go. I think I'm I'm good now. Yeah, I could tell the audio changed. Yeah, exactly. How's I like it going? those head. Oh, it's good, man. I like those headphones. What are you working with there? <clears throat> They're the Bose uh, QC35 to to be specific. How are you getting your audio? Is it it's wireless? Audio? And then yeah, and then it just like I guess there's the mics built into the headset itself, but it's pretty impressive because it's not like I have anything yeah dangling around me. You know, I guess I mean I'm wearing the Apple EarPod thing, and it's a similar distance from my mouth, so I guess that works. But I like the the full immersion <laughs> that you're working with there. You can yeah it it drowns out their noise like reduction so it totally drowns out the world which sometimes is kind of freaky because like someone will sneak like walk up on me and it'll catch me off guard <laughs> but it's um but it's nice because yeah like when i'm like i work in film and stuff so obviously editing and all that it's just nice to have like the focus so it's good yeah well if i see anyone sneak up behind you i'll give you like a <laughs> i'll give you a signal that someone's coming up behind you <laughs> that's good actually on that note especially because part of this i guess revolves around ollie my son but i had to do one of those classic i had like 15 people i was pitching to all on the screen and i was going through a presentation but he was homesick and so i had him upstairs i thought he was good watching like paw patrol but throughout the meeting and the presentation he kept coming down sneaking up and putting like ice packs down my back <laughs> and like, but just stealth, like pestering me throughout the whole presentation. And so it was one of those moments, but everybody was that laughed. today. No, that was like last week. So we got okay. the job. So obviously it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, uh, yeah, we are going to talk about Ollie. Is he home today? 
No, he is at um, preschool. He goes to preschool three days a week. And then we have um, a nanny that we've had since he was young that comes in for a couple of days a week just to help pick up the slack. Um, so yeah, it's good because we we actually bike we bike together to preschool and home. So it's kind of like our also our little our little bike ritual. Um, so it's kind of nice because we kind of have like a little bike bond over that each day. And I because I keep he's now riding his own bike and I've added a bike rack with panniers on it. And I'm keep building him out, sort of prepping him for <laughs> the next phase of our bike packing lives. You're slowly adding more and more before we won't even know. It's not going to be like a, like most of us, like we ride a gravel bike or whatever, you know, whatever bike you're riding. And then you add 20, 30 pounds worth of gear. But for him, it'll just be a, a gradual progression. He won't even know. Exactly. Well, he's pretty stubborn. So he's, it's he's pretty insistent on his independence so he he needs to wrap roll it up and he has to close it and he has a system and so it's good i respect it. he's way more organized than i am i'm pretty like loosey-goosey sometimes with that stuff and i always curse myself in events i'm like why am i not more organized you know it's like just be you know take care of this and you don't have a repercussion later so um, yeah, he's good. He's good. Maybe he'll learn from your mistakes or lack so. of, you know, so there, there's two <laughs> yeah. ways to learn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, I sometimes remind myself that when I'm putting something on his bike, that the scale to him is like, for me, it seems like nothing, but all of a sudden, if I'm adding a big water bottle, that's a lot for a kid to suddenly, you know, start carrying. Right. So, right. Um, I've caught myself a couple of times going, Oh yeah, that's heavy. And we're going up a huge hill here. So I better take that off. So, yeah. <laughs> One thing that I really appreciated about your, uh, your film was that, and it speaks to what you're just saying with Ollie in the background was that, you know, when you, f you film the kind of intro to the film, Ollie was interrupting you nonstop. And as a podcaster who works at home, I'm a single father. I've got kids popping into, you know, this door right here um, constantly. Luckily, they're at school right now. So if one of them pops up during this interview, I'm going to be very shocked. But um, yeah, and usually I edit that stuff out. You know, that's not typically what you would throw in a film for your or a podcast or whatever you're doing. But for what you were doing, it really told the true story of like, what is it like to be a content creator or a bike packer and a parent that's trying to do this? And what it's like is having a little toddler annoying you or needing your attention or needing something or trying to entertain you throughout the entire day. And, and in between those little interruptions, you're filming a thing, you're doing a podcast, whatever it may be. So as a father and as a person who creates a podcast, I, that like right from the beginning on the film, uh, that really resonated with me for sure. I mean, first of all, it was real. So it felt authentic to put it there, but I also think it, that was the key for me is that I think I wanted right away. I wanted to set the tone for people that I, although this was an important experience for us, I also wasn't taking myself too seriously either. You know what I mean? It was like, I wanted to show what it was like and, and share our experience, but not like, I'm not trying to glamorize or dramatize it. It, it just speaks for itself. And so, um, I've, I've, had, I've had so many parents reach out to me about that one scene and just, and again, I think immediately I, I sort of earned the trust of 
all the parents out there who are watching it because they're like, okay, yeah, he's he's telling the I guess the real story, not you know some polished uh, you know version of what 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 went out on out there for us. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, no, you got to. You don't want to get parents really. Uh, in over their heads. I mean, there's enough with this type of stuff that can go wrong automatically. Adding a kid to the equation, obviously want to be very mindful of that. So yeah, it's good to show the whole breadth of the experience and not just the glossed over uh, parts. Well, before we get too far into the film and everything, let's back up just a little. And uh, I'm I'm curious. So you're first, I recently learned through texting with you to set up this interview that there is a Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know if you'll get to enjoy it now because it sounds like you're leaving tomorrow to go do a film project. So what's, what's your next week look like? No, it's actually pretty good. We, um, the great thing about it is the, the, the guy I'm working with and producing, who's producing is also joining me for Thanksgiving. We're going to a little Island. It's off the grid. We have some cabins up there. So we're going to escape for the weekend. So we made sure that our schedule did not impact our Thanksgiving plans because uh, our our partners and our families would kill us if we did that. But to be fair, we selfishly want to, that's important, you know, getting that time off. So we're only shooting one day this week and then we shoot a bunch of stuff later on. So it doesn't really disrupt our, our Thanksgiving, our Canadian Thanksgiving. So it's good. <laughs> well, uh just for fun, um, and I could have Googled this, but maybe there's some other Americans out there that didn't realize that Canada also th- celebrates Thanksgiving, and I'm just assuming it's a little bit different than ours. So what what is that? You know what? I think at the heart, it's probably very similar. You know, we do our turkey dinners, and we're grateful for a lot of the same things. Um, I would say that the Canadian Thanksgiving is probably a little less serious than it is maybe in the US. I know that Americans take it very seriously. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it actually even competes with Christmas. Whereas here, I think it's just separated enough that um, they're not con- conflicting with each other and vying for like family gathering attention. And so I think they're, they're, they're definitely a little more chill here. But I, you know, I, I think the time of year as well, it's fall. So it's kind of, Everyone, I think, really enjoys the idea of getting together in what is the changing weather. It's usually quite romantic in terms of the aesthetics outside. It's, you know, fall and leaves are changing. And yeah, we just hunker down, turkey, stuffing, all the usual fixings and uh, and hang out. So it's great. Yeah. Sounds like uh, sounds like Thanksgiving without the American attitude of hold my beer and watch this. You know, <laughs> there's still some of that. I mean, we, there's definitely some overlap, but let's be fair. And there's That's football good. and all of those things. Okay. But, you know, and uh, but it's yeah, I think it's just it's a little bit more toned down, I suppose, in terms of its importance. Um, you know, I would say. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do for a living? I mean, I think it does kind of segue and dovetail into this film that you produced as this is something you do for a living, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge tie in, really. I mean, my my work is I work in the film film industry um, as a writer, director, producer, and and I edit and I've done sort of all the different tasks within the film industry since like I was a kid. I knew I always wanted to get into that. Um, at the same time, I was always sort of athletic and into sports and enjoyed the adventures and travel and 
And I think my film career has always sort of tried to weave in my personal life always. And so, um, you know, when it came to me doing this event with Ollie, originally I didn't actually think I would make a film because I just thought there's too many responsibilities already trying to manage a toddler during an event. And I didn't want to add that component into it. I wanted to really be present and focused in the experience itself. So I, I was kind of hesitant to, to film it, but then I thought, well, this is, this is crazy. It's, it's, especially when I decided to do the Rexy, it felt like a really filmable event because there was, you know, road access in certain lots of places and the terrain was so unique. And um, I was like, yeah, I got to figure this out. And so that's when I reached out to Brady um, someone who had met in Morocco to, to come out and I, I trusted him and I knew he understood the, how to film an event like this and that he'd be chasing us, you know? Um, so yeah, that was, that was when I made that decision and it was important. And, you know, interesting enough, I was introduced to bike packing and bike pack racing through the making of my, of a film back in 2000, I made a film, um, called a thin white line which documented the, um, which is now called the, I did a, it's along the Iditarod Trail. So it's now called the, um, the ITI, Iditarod Trail Invitational. And so I was like 25 looking for something cool to do and fun to do. And I, you know, I tapped into a local racer and he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to this event in Alaska. You should come film it. And I was like, great. Got a camera, went up to Alaska. I was totally like naive and in over my head, but got a snowmobile and just started following. And like one month later, because it was just like the longest race of all time um, <laughs> because of the conditions, I had all this material, made this film and it w did really well. And it was just sort of the beginning of my film career. So it was interesting that my career started doing adventure documentary. And then I went on to do commercial work and all that. And then now I've kind of circled back to it. And yeah, I, admittedly there was, I felt a bit of pressure to almost cross over, you know what I mean? If I was going to do a film and and marry my two passions, it would be, I wanted to make sure it was done right. Um, and, you know, the challenge with any documentary is they're never perfect. And that's kind of the fun part of them. They're kind of like bikepacking. You have to sort of be resourceful and use whatever tools you have and, and almost sort of let it be organic and accept what it becomes. And that's part of the joy of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh it's a shame that it's taken me this long to get you on the podcast. Um I've been a big fan of of you and your work, your writing, your photography, your video. I mean, it's very very good. Uh, uh it's, your your writing is is unique and so good. Uh you write very simply but really bring the person along for, you know, I, I don't know, you're able to really at least immerse me with your writing and your photography and everything and um uh on a personal level I've just been a big fan of what you've been doing. I've been enjoying uh being able to kind of live vicariously through some of the adventures that that you've done and um whenever I saw this film that you did with Ollie, uh, along for the ride. Um, you know, that, that really as a father, I'm like, okay, let's get this guy on finally. So I'm sorry that it's taken so long to get you on the podcast, but for people who might be unfamiliar with you and just right off the bat, where, where's the best place people can go to like find out more about you and see some of your work that you've done. I, I think 
for me, it's Instagram. I mean, that's kind of the the portal where I kind of share most things. So if people go to my Instagram account, they can kind of at least see some of the adventures that we're doing as a family, but also some of the races and adventures I'm doing on my own. Um, and then from there, you can kind of branch out. Like I've written a bunch of articles for bikepacking.com. So I have, I think, five, six, seven, maybe articles and a, and a few in their journal. Um, some of which again are about our family bikepacking trips, which delve more into kind of the, the nuances of these trips that we share and, um, but also documenting some of the races I've done. Um, cause I try to really find a balance, strike a balance between, you know, personal events that push me as an individual, um, and allow me to maybe explore places I couldn't with, uh, a child and, or as a family. Um, and then, yeah. And then we pick places to travel and document as a family that make more sense, you know, that are, are, I mean, each, to be honest, each trip we're evolving and learning because Ollie's changing and evolving. And so we have to really adapt, um, to different terrain, different conditions, um, that are sort of viable with either a trailer or just with the extra gear or, you know, that we feel like he'll enjoy and have fun with as well. Like he kind of is starting to be more articulate about what he likes. And so he's driving some of these choices now as well. But to be honest, I'm, I'm less worried about his ability to endure because we've been in some of the like super cold conditions and extremely hot conditions and all kinds of, of rough conditions. And he just sort of, sort of shrugs it off. And it's, it's a great lesson as a parent to realize like, kids are super resilient, you know, and that we can expose them to these things. And yes, of course, we're safe, you know, behind, behind it all, we're quietly being very, very safe and prepared. And I've taken a, a lot of steps to mitigate, you know, unnecessary risk. You know, we want to maintain the adventure. And to do that, sometimes you have to let go of security, you know, and to some degree, but you know, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to prove anything. We're not trying to break records. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we're trying to have a legitimate, authentic experience. And I would assume, uh, have it be fun for Ollie, have him want to continue this. You know, you don't want to put your kid in a situation where they're going to be miserable and that doesn't do you any favors as a parent. Now you have a miserable kid that you have to deal with. So I, I imagine it's, I mean, it, you know, I know what it's like to take your kids bikepacking and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You got to have, you know, the consideration of whatever extra time may be uh, a factor. Safety is the biggest factor, I would say. And uh, ultimately you want them to grow in love with the same thing you do and, and share that with them. And it's not very fun if they're not having a good time. So going back to your introduction to bikepacking, um, that is a very cool and, and neat way to get involved or introduced to bikepacking. Where were you at in your personal life in terms of like, were you in any other sports or what was your background like that when you saw this, you were like, okay, this is something I want to do or want to try? Yeah. I mean, I was always outdoorsy and I played lots of sports, um, and, and loved the outdoors, but I was certainly not an endurance athlete growing up. Um, you know, I dabbled in some things and I was, I recently moved, um, from out East in Canada to the West coast to British Columbia, where it's very different mentality there. The out, you know, outdoor activities like mountain biking and kayaking and, and rock climbing and all those things are just more prevalent. So I very quickly 
got caught up in that world and met people and was starting to learn really fast. So we were those, you know, weekend warriors doing like, you know, weekend races and we were pretty good and doing fine, but it was just, it was all new to me and, but I loved it. And that's when I had that opportunity to go and film, you know, I was looking for a film to do and I had that chance to go film the, um, I did a rod race. And, um, I think that certainly introduced me to the scope and scale of what was out there. I mean, that being said, it was still in its infancy, I would say, bikepacking. It was still very niche. You said this was 2000, right? Yeah, like, I yeah, mean, that's very riding, early on. Exactly. So, like, to be fair, I don't even know how much it even really existed back then because I, when I filmed it, I was, I absolutely loved the experience. And the, the experience of making that film is still one of the, the experiences I'm most proud of just because of what I had to go through to finish it. And I was proud that I did that. And so it was a, a big moment for me on a personal level. And I remember walking away saying, oh, I got to come back here. I got to do this, you know, for real. I got to be one of the people on the other side, you know, actually riding and pushing their bike. Um, it oddly took me 14 years to make that leap. So it wasn't actually until like, you know, yes, almost more than a decade. Yeah. Like to finally get involved. And it, that was just a set of circumstances that opened the door for me. Um, which was basically Andy Heading, who was the individual who won the race that year. And I filmed him and became friends with him through that experience. 14 years later, it's like, hey, we're going back. We're going to go do the Alaska race and we're going to do the 1,000 mile race. And there's uh, a guy, Frank Jansen, who lives there, who trains athletes to do these events. You could train with him and do it. Why don't you come? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And so I had a year to prepare and I'd never done anything of that scope and scale. And the racers are sorry, the event organizers whom I knew and kept up with through the years because of the film were gracious enough to basically forego me having to do some of the preliminary events that you have to do to qualify. And so they were allowing me to basically do the 1000 mile race right off the top, mainly because they knew I knew the trail and what I was getting into because I'd filmed it. And they also knew that I was surrounded by really good experienced people who were going that I would be training with. So they felt like I was taking it seriously and um, preparing for it. So, yeah, so that was the kind of the big leap that, that sort of happened. And then I, you know, for me, I was just got addicted to it and kept going. Did you film that one? Did you create any content around that, uh, that experience and, and how, and how did that first one go? Go ahead. Yeah, I just the only thing that came out of that was I wrote an article. I wrote about it, obviously, as I, I do with all of the, the the things that we do. And I took photos. Um, but it was I, I think it was one of those ones where I was like immediately in. I wouldn't say in over my head. I was prepared, but it was such a new thing for me that, again, I wanted to respect it. And so I had no other distractions other than I am going to finish. And so, um, you know, and also to be fair, I knew from my own experiences in the past that filming in those conditions is so difficult. Like, so to try to race and take care of yourself and manage equipment um, was quite difficult, even though I think now, you know, equipment's getting better and better and better. And it's so much easier to film as we can see with, you know, so many more racers and, and travelers are documenting their own trips because the gear allows for that. Right. So, um, so yeah, it was, I put the whole filming thing on the side, focused on just being a bike packer. And, um, it was, yeah, it was, it became the second 
thing I was the most proud of, which was coupled with my making the film, the me finishing the race was a really big step for me. And it was, um, yeah, I was just super proud. Like it's just, it's not often you feel that internal pride that you get from doing something, um, which is what I get from all these events. You know, when you cross the finish line, I think I've done like 12 of them now. And I've, I'm great, grateful for the fact I've been able to finish every single race I've started and some of them not so, so pretty. Um, uh, some of them I've, I've hobbled and stumbled across the line and some I've rode through, you know, in good form, but I think, yeah, I'm just super proud whenever I finish this event. And I think it's really a, an emotion that's hard to explain and replace, you know, that feeling you have inside when you can do an accomplishment like that. Yeah. I mean, a thousand mile I did a ride for your first one is, is, <laughs> yeah. is no joke. I mean, there's, I can't even wrap my head around that. Uh, and, and equally, I can't wrap my head around, you know, surmising your past decade long of expeditions. You know, it started with Iditarod Trail in 2014, and it's kind of culminated recently with you did Tour Divide this year. Uh, I believe it came in 26th place. Uh, right behind uh, Nick Marzano, who was on the podcast, who came in second. Did you run it twenty second? Did he come? Did you run into my friend Nick out there when you're on the trail? Oh, absolutely. We were flip flopping a lot, and I so I was hanging with those guys quite a bit, and they were yeah, they were super super nice, and and that's part of the joy of these these events are the people that you meet. I I, I think I referenced it in my Scottish. When I did the Highland 550, I talked about it in an article and I, I sort of came up with the term of fast friends and there's, which is what you create. I think when you're on the trail, you may cross someone and have share a muffin together or, you know, bump into each other in a weirdest situation. But I think because you're sharing such a crazy, interesting moment in your life, you just create this immediate bond. And so I've, I have a lot of those and people who I just sort of, you know, see on social media or whatever, and we keep touch, but yeah, there's just, it's, it's just like a connection you create when there's those people who are kind of around, you know, you settle into your pace and then you, you tend to run into similar people. Um, and, um, it was a shame because I had, I had a dental issue. My wire was loose in my mouth and was like cutting up oh. my tongue. And I was like trying to, every time I tried to eat, I put gum this on one? it, hold it. Yeah, exactly. That wire <laughs> came loose and it was just like basically hacking up my mouth every time I tried to eat. So when I was in Breck, Breckenridge, I pat, I was just ahead of them leaving and I was like, I can't keep doing this. Like I can't eat. And we've been doing it for two days. And I thought this is the last kind of town I'll be in that has any facility. So I, I basically Googled dentist and found a dentist office that was actually open and I walked in there and I was like, I must have looked like a freak because it's halfway through the tour divide. So I'm in all my gear, totally gaunt and muddy and dirty. And it's like, yeah, I can have an appointment. And so they squeezed me in the end of the day. But it was kind of a, I needed to make the decision, but it was also a tough decision because I think it really, that was kind of, it turned me from pushing as a feeling like a racer to like, okay, I, now I got to finish this because I, I basically took a good chunk of a day to just deal with that. And, um, and that group that you were referring to and Nick and all those guys who I'd kind of been with for so long, I had to let them go. And that was kind of like, it's such a weird thing. It's like being stranded on an Island and watching a boat float away. You know, it was very, um, very emotional. And I think the tour divide this year was one of the more emotional races I've ever had. Um, 
I felt I had all the feels on the tour divide and I, my body did not let me down, save the dental wire. My body was amazing and felt great, but I think my, my emotions got the best of me this, that time it was, it was, it was quite interesting, but again, I think that's why I know I do this is you just learn a lot about yourself and about things when you're put into those circumstances. Talk more about the emotions that you were having, if you don't mind. I'm, I mean, is it been a culmination of something you've been leading up to with the tour divide or, or what were you experiencing when you were out there? Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously I wasn't prepared for it necessarily because it, it kind of hit me unexpectedly. And I think, I think really now that I've had some time to reflect and I'm, de- I'm actually, you know, I'm writing about it and, you know, I'm going to put an article, I think in the next journal, bikepacking journal about it. Cause I think it's actually important. And I've seen a lot of other articles and people talking about sort of the mental health side to, of, of all things, but certainly in bikepacking, I think when you put yourself through such an intense experience, there's, there's definitely a psychological whiplash, I think to that. And in this case, I think I had a really bad back injury and I, I hadn't really dealt with too many bad injuries through my, the last 10 years. And this one forced me to quit a couple other races I had intended to do. And I wasn't sure I'd get to the start line of the tour divide. Like I literally remember I couldn't even sit down on the toilet like a week before I was just like in a huge pain, but worked really hard with some trainers on mobility stuff and kind of got myself to a place where I could get on my bike and ride. And, and I was actually shocked that I was fine. But I think I spent a lot of energy focused on getting better that maybe I wasn't as focused on some of the other things that I needed to be focused on to take on an event of that scale. So, you know, I I think I lacked some of the, I think for lack of a better word or or way to describe the the emotional edge, I kind of went in like, you know, not really focused on, on the, what I was about to endure. And so you know, I was, I did, my first day was exactly as I planned, got to Fernie and everything was going great. And then I woke up in the morning and I just literally, I've never had this before. I just kind of froze emotionally. And I sat in Fernie for six hours, like waiting and watching racers go by. And I wasn't really quite even sure, but I just felt this like crazy sense of, um, I was missing my family and missing my son and and wondering if I was being selfish and why am I out here? And is this how I want to spend my time? It was just like all this stewing emotion just kind of poured out and I didn't, I didn't expect it. And so it threw me off. And, um, and I, and I think I, so I kind of dealt was dealing with that throughout the race. It kind of kept coming to the surface at times. And, you know, then you have like amazing days where things go really well, or you see a beautiful scenery or sunrise, or you, you get, uh, the right croissant at the right moment. And you're like, you know, life is grand, but, uh, but yeah, I had some, I had some tough emotional times and I would say it was the first time I came very, very close to scratching, um, which was tough. Cause I've never had to do that. I just never let it be part of my vocabulary. And that's not to say you shouldn't scratch. Scratching is also an important thing. Like it's, there's times you need to scratch. I just never had one yet. And, and, but I was sitting there and I was just lucky. You know what? It it, it also, again, talking about mental health, it was, I had a really great network of people around me that I could reach out to and who understood me and knew what to say and didn't give me an out. I was waiting for someone to give me an out, you know, to say, Hey man, it's okay. Quit. And nobody did because they knew that I didn't need to yet. And so they let me 
spill my emotions and and talk about it. And, and then, you know, we all agreed, just go to bed, sleep, wake up and things will be different. And they were. And so I think the few, the couple of times I faced that, I was able to sort of talk it out, endure, um, and get through it. And I think the tour divide was definitely the loneliest of the races I've done. I think there was more interaction with other people in the other races. And I think, you know, the loneliness does play an effect, have an effect. Oh, sure. What were you grappling with? Was it that sense of why am I here wanting to be with your son and your family? This has got to be, I mean, your son is, I believe, about four now. So, I mean, this is still a, probably a new emotion for you that you're dealing with as you're out there. And I bet there's other parents out there that probably grapple with a, a similar thing. But was that the core of what you were struggling with? Was that selfishness that is kind of there? And and then how did you answer that? How were you able to keep going? Yeah, I mean, it's a great great question. I think I'm 90% of the way there of figuring it out. And maybe, you know, I probably won't figure it out because I think that's just part of the journey is learning each time and gaining, gleaning a bit more information about ourselves and about myself. But I would say, yeah, there was a lot of forces at play. There was, you know, I understood that me going away for these long periods of time, put a lot of pressure on my wife, Sarah, and it put a, pre- it, it took time away from my son. And I think I definitely have a lot of interests and a lot of things I want to do. And I, I know that for the first time in a long time in my life, given my age, um, I'm starting to feel that sense of I'm on that other side of the trajectory where it's like, holy crap, I don't have forever anymore. I always just thought I had forever and it's time has become so precious. And so, you know, I'm out there suffering going, why am I suffering? Like, is suffering the right answer? And I've had these experiences before where I'd be rolling at 3 a.m. and go by this beautiful little campsite. And all I would imagine is, why am I not camping there with, on my bike with my friends? Like, why aren't we pulling over, making a fire and having a beer and share? Why am I not sharing that experience with someone? And so I think that that idea of 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 being alone, and which at times I love and appreciate, but I think it's starting to really sort of evaluate how I want to spend my time and what is my purpose? You know, what am I doing and why? Because I don't have infinite choices anymore. You know, like just with the injury, I think it made me realize that this is going to get harder and harder to maintain this level. Um, And yeah, I think I was also just a bit frustrated because I'd made some of these emotions, the fact that the emotions got the best of me and then started to actually impact my goal my speed goal. So my performance was deteriorating. So all of a sudden that compounds my emotion. So it all starts to pile on top of each other. And I, you know, I've talked about it before. There's, I think when you don't grow up being an endurance athlete or doing events like this, you're always challenged with, do I belong here? Am I, you know, am I really meant to be here? And am I a fraud? And, you know, and so again, when I think when, when that, when you start to slip down that slope emotionally, then you start to let all these negative thoughts pour in, right? And they all start to attack. And I, thankfully, you know, I use, in this case, I wasn't really, on my trips, I use photography as an outlet. It's a great way to stop and slow down and take pictures or to write. But sometimes when you're racing, you don't have that outlet, you know, because I'm not stopping and taking photos. Um, I'm not absorbing the place that I'm in maybe as intimately as I would on a, a bikepacking trip. Um, so, you know, it's so, yeah, it's, I think it's just a lot of I- forces of identity, you know, trying to define and, and understand 
where do I, where do I fit in my own world? You know? And so when you're tired and you, when you're tired, you don't have calories in you, you get obviously get more emotional. So I just think this stuff just kind of comes to the surface and you're alone with yourself. So you know what I mean? You're having convers like I joke. It's kind of like I had those Gollum conversations where I was talking to myself and, you know, sometimes you get bored of yourself and you want somebody else. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, bike, bike pack racing is regardless of, you know, if you're a parent or not a parent or have significant others, it is a selfish endeavor. You know, it is solo self-supported. You're not allowed to even draft, you know, there is no, uh, there's a little camaraderie around on, on the trail and stuff, but it's a it's a solo and a selfish endeavor. Um, it's one that I think for a lot of people they value. Um, it 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 is important that for mental health reasons or for physical and mental health that that we do engage in these types of things. I'm I'm curious where you landed afterwards. Do you do you? Do you see the value? Is it is it valuable for you to have those solo experiences? Or are you seeing now that you're finding more value as a father and with your friends? Or you said you're only 90% there. So maybe that's only that's part of the 10% you haven't figured out yet. But <laughs> yeah, and I think there's always just like I think there's always an element of life that's a mystery that we'll never figure out. And you know, yeah, I think in this case, um, I'm not sure. I, I told myself that I wouldn't define anything that happened in the tour divide, tour divide too quickly. That I would let it settle, um, and but I think I made some new promises with myself. Which first and foremost, like I think having gone through nursing back from the injury and then not feeling like I was as fit as I could have been to do the event because I was too focused on on just being having the strength to do it. I sort of realized, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to be all in. If I'm going to take this time away from my family and if I'm going to endure what I'm enduring, then I need to be all in. And that means being as fit and mentally prepared as I can be um, so that I respect the experience as much as I possibly can. Um, so that, that was a one big takeaway and it's easier said than done because, you know, again, you, when you're training, you never know what's going to happen and lots of people get, you know, beat up through that experience. So, but yeah, I think that's one thing that's, that's really key is I just want to make sure, you know, I feel like I'm always make sure prepared, it's worth it, it almost. Yes. Worth that time away. Exactly. And that's the big part of it now is like, how do I balance that? But I, I also think it's really healthy for us to have our, our, our own experiences. You know, I think that what I gain and take away and learn about myself, I can hopefully bring back in a positive way to, you know, my family. And I think that, you know, my, what I learned by doing these races, whether it be technical or gear or me getting in good shape makes me better as part of our team, which is our family. When we do our trips, I'm able to pull a lot of weight, you know, like it's not easy pulling, you know, a 40 pound kid and then all the gear and all the trailer and, and keep doing that day in and day out. So I think the races keep me honest and scare me enough to keep me fit and healthy so that when we do go do our family bikepacking trips, those don't feel like a slog. I feel like <laughs> I have the strength and the energy and the capability to endure those as well. Because as you've alluded to, you know, it doesn't turn off. You get into camp and Ollie's been sitting in the trailer all day. He wants to get up and do stuff. So, you know, Sarah and I 
kind of want a moment to chill out, but that doesn't necessarily happen. So, um, yeah, so I think there's, there's a balance there and I think we learn a lot from both. And I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's just making sure that the right energy is put into the right things and that I, I, you know, I'm committed to whatever it is I do. Yeah. I love that perspective. You're doing bikepack racing to train yourself to be a better bikepacking family. You got to be the <laughs> mule. You got to carry all this stuff. That's yeah. why you're doing it. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it for the family. <laughs> yeah, that's the excuse. I have, to, I have to use that to justify when I'm planning my next trip. Like Sarah always laughs because we share, we have a, a calendar. Obviously, we share a digital calendar, iCalendar, and uh, she'll all of a sudden see something pop up in our mutual feed that's, uh, you know, tour divide question mark. And she's like, Oh no, you know, he's, he's thinking of an event coming up that he wants to do, but I always put the question mark at the end. It's more like I'm penciling them in right. sort of seeing where they fall. And, and that's the other part of it is it's sort of juggling what events are viable for me to do because, you know, Sarah's a teacher and that's really great for us because we can use the summer to go and do a bikepacking trip. We try to go do a bigger trip overseas. Like this year, we're going to Tasmania to do a bikepacking trip over Christmas. Um, as a family, then, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as a family. Cool. So, so I kind of anchor my year around that of Christmas, March break and summer. And we, you know, and I keep asking Sarah, Hey, what do you want to do on these holidays? These are your holidays, you know, as much as is almost more so than they're mine. And she's usually the one that says, I want to go bikepacking as a family. So I think that for all of us, it's like a great grounding way to ground. And I see that with Ollie, he's grounded when he's out there. The reality is he's no different out there than he is here. He has his bad days, good days. He whines, he complains, he has the time of his life. But so what's the difference if we're at home or we're out on the trail? And that's the part that we've really learned is that we're not, you know, we're having, he's just going to be himself no matter where we are. At least we're doing it somewhere where he's being exposed to new things and learning new things and, um, and challenged as well. Yeah. The threshold really is on the parents when you put it that way. Like Ollie's going to be Ollie, whether he's at home or out on the trail. It's really your threshold for handling those situations when you don't have, you know, Paw Patrol and you don't have all of the snacks handy or, or whatever it is, you know, like you are putting yourself in a more challenging environment more oftentimes than not. Uh, Ollie's not going to really care probably unless he's just freezing his butt off or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, you realize too, that Paw Patrol is just what he knows here because it's part of the ritual here, for example. And that when we go out on the bike, he, you know, something clicks with him and he switches gears and he's like, okay, now Paw Patrol on the TV, which, you know, he doesn't spend a lot of time on, but that suddenly is replaced with his adventure box. And so now the adventure box becomes his TV. It's just a little box that we bring with us every trip and we try to add stuff to it and or bring things that are relevant to the trip we're doing. And that becomes his precious commodity, which has his rope, his his plastic camera, his little book guidebook and, um, you know, his clips, which he absolutely he's obsessed with his little clips. But that's what's amazing is he then becomes focused on those things and those become his distractions and his toys and his imagination. And so, um, yeah, and it doesn't take long for him to suddenly know, hey, we're bikepacking and and, you know, it's it's so nice for me to see. We've watched the film now several times because he's requested it. Um, and it's just funny watching him and reflecting on 
the mem- he's bringing up memories that I didn't even remember, things I didn't remember that he caught on or emotions he had when he's on the trip because he's processing them, you know, and maybe hasn't had an outlet to, to, to discuss them. So it's kind of fun and funny. And again, a reminder that like, he's absorbing way more than we think he is, you know, all the time he is, you know, they talk about kids being a sponge and he is, and he's soaking up and learning and enduring. Um, and yeah, those experiences out there, I think really, really ground him and then ground us as a family. My uh, five-year-old, uh, when I take her bike packing, um, it, 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 it's amazing to see the switch. You know, I mean, we at home, we have endless toys and uh, digital interactions and all kinds of distractions and stuff. And, and we can, as parents, we can be like, oh, well, we need all this stuff. But the crazy thing that I've learned, and every kid's going to be different, but my daughter, my five-year-old, she, when I put her on the back of the bike and she's in a, she's on like a trailer bike, not, not the trailer, but you know, she's on her own thing. So she can pretend to pedal while I'm really pedaling. And, uh, all she will sit back there for hours, endlessly entertained with nothing, but she's singing songs. She's pointing out wildlife. She's pointing out trees and she's talking to the trees. She's talking to the wind. She's, and uh, it's, it's such a good experience and a realization for me as a father that really all these other things are just distractions. And I think all of us as human beings, whether you're five or 50, you crave and can relate to immersion in the outdoors. Have you, does that resonate with you or have you seen anything like that with Ollie? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, we get, we get on the bike and there's times like, we're just like Sarah and I are rolling our eyes. Cause he just won't, he won't shut up. He's just nattering <laughs> on about everything. And we're like, where's this coming from? And we're climbing up a hill and we're just sort of tired. And of course it's amazing. And you know, I, we, we laugh at it all, but it's like, and I'll see Sarah drift back. Sometimes she'll put her headphones on and fall back because it's the one time that Ollie can't actually physically climb all over her because you know, like most kids, he just wants to be on top of mom all the time. And so I think that's why she keeps choosing bikepacking trips because she can physically separate herself from him and ride behind and get a little bit of a a reprieve. And so um, that's, I think, her little secret. But yeah, I mean, it's that is. By the way, I will say that is totally fair. Any parent out there will completely uh, relate to that, and it's okay to take breaks from your kids. Uh, Non-parents might be like, "What the heck?" But I mean, parents get it. Yeah. And I said it, I said it once before, which was, you know, I, and I have to say it again, which is like, I sure I'm pulling the weight of Ollie, but like, I, like at the end of the day, I know Sarah and, and moms out there are doing so much more of the heavy lifting because of that emotional demand on them when we're in these situations. And so, you know, it's only fair that I, I'm the one that has to put on the extra weight and pull him because like, you know, they, she has to do so much and take that on. And, but you know, like that's where I think the motivation to go and do either like a trip or an event really resonated with me alone with Ollie, because I think, again, it's super important that we have our individual experiences. It's super important that we have our family experiences, but I also then think there's nothing, um, there's nothing like having that one-on-one time. And, you know, I see it with, you know, if my relatives come to visit, if Ollie has a chance to spend a couple of days with someone, 
that bond and connection that's made is lasts forever. You know, they've, they've connected. And so for Ollie and I to go where maybe he doesn't have the distraction of mom or other things that was, you know, really kind of secretly and quietly the, the bigger motivation for me, you know, the event was the excuse in a way to go and have that experience together. And like this, a lot of the stuff that doesn't show up in the film, which is the four or five days around the event to me was, it was so important for me. Um, and for us, you know, like we had so many great little moments together and I got to see him in a different way because I had his attention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mom is usually there and mom's probably the one that's getting crawled all over and or whatever. And, and so it puts you in a position where now you have to be the person you you're taking care of everything and y'all have to, you're in it together, you know? And so that is a completely different dynamic and I can see the value there. I want to, I want to ask you a question about, uh, I hope it's a fair question, but, um, I could, I could imagine non-parents listening to this and, and, and something that I've thought of, I've, I've had, I have a almost 13 year old, so I've been a, a dad for a while and I never really, um, had an opportunity to ask myself this question, but I think as adventurous people in general, um, it can be scary to decide to have a kid, right? Like a lot of these adventures don't take place with, with a kid in tow. And, and oftentimes I think the thought is, and we see it very frequently where people have kids and then they just stop, you know, whatever it is. And so I'm curious, like how hard was it for you as an adventurer, as person, uh, you and your wife to decide to have 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 kids or have a kid and um and maybe how has that shaped your life if that hasn't been too big of a question <laughs> no and i think it's a great question because it's you see it all around i definitely see i know people who have made that very conscious choice to not have kids because they want to continue to live the life they're living and 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 for sure a kid affects that it impacts it no matter how you cut it it doesn't matter how good a kid is or how much they want to, to share in those experiences with you. It's challenging and you have to compromise. And so, you know, I think, to be honest, I think that I was distracted by enough interests that the idea of sharing with a, with a kid in this experience as a family sort of outweighed any of the, of the selfish reasons or things I would feel like I'd be missing out on if I didn't have a kid. Um, and I think being a little older when I did made that choice was also a little bit easier because I think I was able to, you know, I got to a place where, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff. And so I think I'm ready for this now. This this new chapter is a little easier to to handle, you know, when you've had some opportunities to do things on my own. And I also think there's a level of ignorance. You don't know what you're getting into really. And I, I think People can tell you all the time, oh, it's going to be this or that. And you don't really know until you have a kid. I think you, you know, and I even catch myself now saying to people the, exactly what people were saying to me and, and realize like, yeah, you know what, it's, it's different for everyone. And, and I also kind of make sure that that's clear because like people are like, think that what we're doing is somehow, that's not special, but it's like, we're just doing what works for us. Like we want to be outside and do stuff. So, Hey, Ollie, you're coming along. And I think that's a big part of it. It's like, I'm not, I don't want, 
obviously we're listening to Ollie and trying to do things he loves and, and we'll be conscious of that. But, you know, I think sometimes as a family too, you just so like, this is how we're going to live. And, you know, you're going to come along with us and, you know, we're not going to drag him into these bike packing trips. I think the moment I see that he's not having fun or that it just feels like a slog, um, then we won't do them. We'll just stop and we'll do something else. Cause I, I have a, lots of other things I love to do. And I hope there's lots of other things he lo- wants to do. This is just one piece of that. But for now, the, it works really well for us and it gives us, it offers us so much as a family. And now just seeing how into biking he is, you know, and seeing how excited he is to ride his bike and, and, how excited he is when I put his panny little panniers on his bike with his, so that he could feel like he just wants to feel part of the team, you know? And so for giving him stuff that makes him feel like he's like mom and dad and he's contributing, you know, then he gets excited. And so, yeah, making him feel like he's a part of it. And that's why the adventure box is so great. Cause he's got a little compass and he loves to navigate and he's actually getting pretty good at it. Um, you know, those are just, I think we're all looking for going back to the tour divide. It's like, you're all kind of looking for your place, right? Where you belong and things. And I think for kids, it's like right now he feels like, yeah, that's where he belongs. And he gets to, to, to share with mom and dad. And, um, and there's just no other distractions or not the same distractions. You know what I mean? Like we're on the trail and there's not other things that are taking away from our attention. We're talking, we're looking at things and we're, we're present, more present, you know, than we are at home. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about your own family bikepacking adventures and maybe specifically, um, you know, like let's talk about Ollie's progression in the sport of bikepacking um, before <laughs> y'all got into this, uh, this crazy 200 mile adventure that y'all went on. But what has that progression been like and, and how has Ollie adapted to this lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, he's, he just continues to adapt and adapt and adapt quickly. So to be honest, that's almost never been really a problem. It's sort of us trying to keep up with him and figure out, okay, what do we do need to do next and to be one step ahead um, because the change is so fast. So, I mean, really we just, you know, the Ollie was born sort of before, just before the pandemic and in the middle of the pandemic, Sarah's a teacher. And so she was still working and I had a bit of a lull in my work as a lot of people did during the pandemic. So I stayed home with Ollie and I wanted to stay fit and wanted to train, but I was the the, the parent at home. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to just sit here. So I'm like, let's go out. And I put him in the trailer and I'd go do my training rides, just pulling him on the back trails and stuff. So I think that was a great opportunity for us to bond. Um, you know, he How was napping. How old was he that- whenever you... How old was he when you started first taking him in the trailer? I think the first ride we ever did, he was like, I don't want child services to come, but he was like definitely way younger than <laughs> what we did is we put the the car seat in the trailer and then like literally like bubble wrapped the hell out of it so that he was, and we were just doing safe trails and stuff. And so, you know, because the biggest issue is the neck, like if the neck's being whipped around, it's not good for him. Um, and the, the the good thing is our first ride we did like that, we did with um, my father-in-law, who is a doctor. So it was sort of like, I kind of looked at him and he was kind of not frowning or upset with us. So I was like, okay, I think we're okay here. And um, yeah, he just, 
you know, we just kept kind of adapting the the safety net around him within the trailer. And then we, we sort of graduated to like, I'd go with the pillows. So I had pillows all around his head. So, he, you know, if he was moving left or right, because he would sleep a lot. Like, honestly, it was kind of like the, the, the cliche of parents taking their kids out in the car, right, to get them to nap. I would take him out in the bike to get him to nap and he would sleep for hours in there. So like, I would just set him up with a sleeping bag and pillows and everything he needed and go and do training rides on the gravel and and whatever. And, and yeah, he was super happy. He would like yell out, he would notice things. He would, he was always talking to me. So he was giving me cues that he was happy. And I think we all as parents know what those are. We can tell when someone's not happy and there's times where he wasn't and I would turn around and go home, you know, and cause there were days when I wasn't happy and I would turn around and go home because I wasn't feeling it. So we really, that experience really, I think immersed him in being in the trailer and also being out on the bike and, having these little day trips and I'd try to make them goal oriented. So we would climb up a mountain and then have a picnic. Right. So there was a reward. He felt like this wasn't just him sitting in there. We, we had a purpose to it. And then, yeah, we just sort of would do those day long outings. We kept kind of wanting to see where's the, where's the threshold, where's the limit, like, where is he going to blow up and be upset? And there never was one. So we just, we, we started camping overnight doing, you know, two, three, four, five day long, week long, and then longer. And it was just, Oh wow. Really? Yeah. At the end of the day, like a week is no different really than a day. He doesn't like, what's the difference. You know what I mean? Where we had all the tools we needed. Um, we even then did went and did a winter fat biking trip where I had, we had the skis and the wheels so we could go back and forth on the snow. Um, and it was minus, I think the worst it was, was like maybe minus 17 Celsius, um, for, given I'm Canadian. So you can, I don't know, do the math there. I'm not great at conversion to Fahrenheit, but, um, but it was cold, (laughs) but we would like, you know, we had our big sleeping bags and we were in the tent and he would roll out and we'd find him in the middle of the night, half out. He just, he wasn't, you know, we were careful, but he wasn't being, he was fine. You know, he was happy out there and he'd get out and play in the snow and do stuff. So again, I think we just kept inching forward you know, giving him new challenges and new distances and time. But what we realized at the end of the day, really, it was it was how much could mom and dad endure? Like, how much did we want to be out there doing those things? And we loved it. And um, I think like anything, the, the longer you're out there, the more you just kind of fall into it, you know, and become sort of, you know, you get the dirt under the nails and you start to feel like this is natural. And so, yeah, so the progression was just, it was steady and we let him take the lead if we saw that he wasn't he was not enjoying it we just pulled back a little bit that's really impressive you might have the most well-traveled you probably don't i follow some kids on or kids but their parents on instagram that are taking their kids like all over the world so maybe that's uh, too big of a statement but ollie let's just say ollie is a very accomplished bike packer at this point he he's an outdoors person probably to a good degree that many of us uh haven't reached yet and as you were talking you know i was just thinking about how humans have been living outside outside of houses for a long longer than we've been inside houses so you know it's it's not crazy to take your kid outside and um as long as you're safe you know you put the protocols in place you have the stuff you need i mean absolutely take your kids um yeah can't. yeah and and i mean like i was just gonna say like i think the doing the iditarod 1000 race was certainly has defined my mentality when it comes to doing bike packing which is 
full respect for the environment and full respect for having the right kit with you because if something goes wrong, you have to be prepared to just sit there and endure the situation you're in and maybe you're not going to get extracted. So my mentality has always just been like, try to be as self-sufficient as possible. And then obviously you introduce a kid into that circumstance. So we always, you know, we're just carrying extra stuff because we're like, you know, where I might push water or I might push food. I always just sort of err on the side of safety. Like we've always got extra dehydrated meals so that if worst case scenario, like we had to walk out of there, we had enough stuff. And, you know, and, and a couple of times we've had to go down that path. Like we've had a couple of like, you know, we're pushing the limits of what our trailers can do. So inevitably, like I laugh and we were laughing because we just had a trip in, um, in Oregon that we did and bike packing and we just had another wheel incident. And we've had, I think of eight or nine bike packing trips we've done as a family, three of them have been kiboshed by wheel issues. Um, I know you're friends with miles or no miles Arbor. And I, yeah. that's why I joke. I, I hope made we can a, say we're friends we, yeah, for sure. And I've, I've joked with him saying it's his fault because every single time it's happened, it's been on a trail, either he's recommended or has ridden <laughs> or I've seen him just before. But yeah, like we've, the bottom line is we're just, there's more variables to go wrong. And so we have to be prepared and we're putting a lot of strain on the trailer and you shouldn't, you know, gear isn't always going to hold up no matter how good it is when you're putting it through that kind of stress. Um, so yeah, we're just, we're prepared and we've had to walk out of scenarios where we strap Ollie to our back and we just start walking. And I, you know, that's just, it is what it is, right? Again, so, it's your threshold as a parent to do this kind of stuff. It, it doesn't have as much to do with your kids. I guess if you have a kid that just hates it, then yeah, certainly take that into consideration. But my experience and talking to other parents, it's, it's usually just the threshold for the parents, uh, their own physical ability to carry the extra stuff and the gear and all the things that are required and their mental and emotional threshold to deal with those extra challenges that are 100% going to happen, whether it's just unplanned pee breaks or a tummy that's upset or a, a wheel that breaks and you're carrying your kid. I mean, there will be additional challenges that come as a result. So I was going to ask you, uh, what sparked the idea to take on this big challenge with Ollie? But it, talking to you now, it seems like y'all have already taken on quite a lot of challenges uh, before you did uh, the Rexy. Um, but what, so what was the impetus for, for taking Ollie on, on the Rexy, Rexy for doing the film? What, what, was, what was the purpose? What was the reasoning for that? Well, I think I, I think I touch on in the film, which is the idea that I saw, I knew that this chapter with him was going to change. You know, we'd been doing all of these bikepacking trips and all of just these these day outings because yeah, we've done these bigger trips. But again, what I've learned with with riding with a kid is that sometimes the most fun is just going out for two hours because you realize a two hour ride is could be just as big as, you know, two weeks because the world sort of is 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 compacted down when you're with a kid. And so we've had all these experiences and, you know, I could see now the writing was on the wall that there's only so much longer. I'm going to be pulling him in that trailer. He's getting too heavy. Um, he's getting more, not, yeah, maybe restless is the right word. He's eager to get out on his own bike. So the last couple of trips I've been carrying him in the trailer and then putting his bike on top so that he can then ride his bike. 
for periods of time. So at least we were giving him something to do and he felt a part of it, but yeah, that wasn't going to last. And I was like, this had been extremely meaningful for me. You know, there's something kind of amazing about having your kid tethered behind you, right? Like on all these trips and like, and having, hearing him mutter and, 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 and talk and, and hearing him sing and just the silly little things that come from that experience. So I wanted to do something that just kind of, for me, would kind of put a exclamation mark on all those experiences. And so I was looking for either a trip or a race and it was challenging because of the pandemic to kind of, it was kind of the tail end of the pandemic to find something that like was again, safe and made sense and was viable for us to do. Um, and then that's when, uh, Lindsay Belchenko from Salsa reached out and said, Hey, why don't you do the Rexy? And like, I looked at the terrain and the course and, you know, cause it's like single track is almost impo- is very difficult to do obviously with a trailer. And so I needed to find a course that was, you know, made sense. It also could be a, you know, I can climb with Ollie in the back and I have climbed a lot of, um, meters with him, but like when you get into grades of nine, 10%, 12% with the trailer, gravity takes over and it becomes this, this tug of war that I often lose. So, um, the, you know, there was climbing, but it was like reasonable. So it felt like a good event for us to do where we could have some fun. He, he also was his favorite movie was cars. And so immediately I was like, Oh my God, this train's going to look like the train he loves from the movie. And yeah, I was just finding ways to spin it for both of us. And um, so that was kind of the main, main thing it was just like really for us to have a, a personal, personal experience, he and I together and a challenge, you know, something that was with bikepacking, we didn't have a time limit. We could stop, we could go slow. I was like, let's see what happens. Like what's, you know, what's the worst that can happen is, you know, we can, we just, we fail which means we stop. And then I, you know, I brought a sleeping bag and a tent. So if we were, if we weren't achieving what we needed to achieve to get to the finish line, then we would pull over and we would camp, you know? So um, to me, you know, I, what I've come to realize is, is start lines are the, are, are the goal now and less so finish lines, because if it's, you know, again, talking about time as being precious, it's like the hard part, like I, I just love everyone who's decided to do something, you know, if someone shows up a start line, they've given up time in their life, they've sacrificed, they've trained, hopefully they've planned, you know, they're giving up a lot to be there to try this thing. And hopefully the event or the race is the reward for all that hard work. And so, um, and you know, again, we're, we're it's sure it's, it's a learning moment for Ollie too. We're going to show up and we're going to try, you know, and we're going to do this and whether he remembers this event, for me, I'm setting the tone for what's going to happen next month and next year and, and after that. And if these are our building blocks that we're working from, then, you know, it's great. And it's a challenge for me, to your point, like I could start to go into atrophy and sit on the couch and get lazy, or I can choose to say, no, I'm going to go out and do rather than not do something, I'm going to go do it with Ollie. And I think he's up for the challenge. You know, again, I, I, th- I knew and Sarah knew that he was up to this challenge. Like we, we weren't, you know, I was going to take safety measures, but we knew that we know our son and we know what he's capable of doing. I, you know, I don't think it's for everyone. And that doesn't mean that, that everyone can't do it. It just might not be someone's definition of a good time. 
And so I get that. And someone might go do something different that I would never do because maybe that's too challenging for me. This was our world and it made sense. And I thought he would have a good time. And now in ref- now having the opportunity to have done it, I'm super grateful because I, I see that it was everything I'd hoped it could be for both he and I. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could describe the Rexy. I, I was actually not familiar with this particular race prior, prior to researching um, this little conversation we're having. I know, so it starts in Fruita, Colorado and ends in Moab. Um, but yeah, what is, what is the route like? And especially, obviously you're going to be carrying a trailer and all that kind of stuff. I mean, how challenging is this route? Um, I think, yeah, the race was new, so that was why it wasn't sort of, um, known by a lot of people including yourself. So I think it was the first year that it was running. Um, and, and so, and the only reason I knew about it was because Salsa, whom I, you know, ride for and write for and tell stories for. Um, are one of the sponsors of the event. And so that's when Lindsay, we sort of, she kind of knew I was looking for something to do and, and I wasn't, I was struggling to find the right project to do. And especially the time of year, cause it's, it's, it was at Hall- on Halloween, which is a great time. So it's, I, you know, the fact that it's actually the, the, the second version of it is this Saturday. So it's actually coming again. And a part of me thought about going back down and doing it on my own, just to <laughs> like, just have revenge <laughs> on the trail. Cause I was like, damn you. Um, I would love to just ride it hard and fast, but, um, but no, it's, it's its own thing. It's, it has its own memory, but yeah, it's 200 miles, um, desert terrain. Um, so super dry, uh, beautiful landscape, sort of that classic sort of Fruta, um, desert landscape, and then getting into sort of the Utah Moab sort of rock formations and, and canyons. And, um, you know, it just, it felt like, it was exciting for me. I know, to be honest, I choose a lot of my events that I do based on, does it, does it sort of spark my imagination? Is this, is this a place I want to actually travel to, you know? So I think about where do I want to go and immerse myself? And, um, you know, it's very different to where we live. So for me, there was a romantic notion of what this, this route would look like and feel like. And honestly, it was just felt like it was conducive to pulling a trailer as much as that sounds normal. Um, it was the kind of terrain I knew that I could successfully pull a trailer, especially with the 24 hour time limit, you know, like there was no faffing about, I couldn't, I had to go. And yet I have a kid who's going to at every stage, try to slow me down, you know, in a good way. He just, he doesn't care. He doesn't know that we're trying to get to a finish line, you know? And he often would ask me, where are we going and why are we here? And I would explain <laughs> it. And, and there's times he's like, I want to go home. But then like I joked, like, well, I'll take him on his bike, like just to the local park. And he'll say, I want to go home. You know, like, again, it's no different. The spirit of it is no different than our everyday life. It's just we're in a different environment. And, you know, he'll say, I want to go home. And then 20 minutes later, he's, he's hooting and hollering and yelling at the birds and having the great old time. You realize these are just mood swings that, I mean, I had them, I have them on events, right? So, um, I don't take them. That doesn't mean he doesn't, he's up, he's unhappy. It just means he's a kid who's going to go through emotions like anyone else. So, so yeah, I just felt like the right event for us. The timing was great. The Halloween component was super fun because we got to go and he got to dress up and we walked around town and, and got, you know, had that, that sort of 
side element to it all, which was, yeah, it was just a really good time hanging out as a dad and a, and a son. So really enjoyed it. And, and then sharing it with Brady and Ben, who were the film team essentially out there filming it. Awesome guys. And, you know, I'm so grateful how they treated Ollie. You know, they were just so good with him and he loved having them around too. Um, so, you know, he got excited. Like he could, he'd suddenly hear the drone or see the drone. You know, I didn't see them that often, to be honest. But when we did, he suddenly was, you know, hey, they're here, they're here. And he got it really excited and it made it just, you know, an experience for him. And I know there's been a lot of conversations about filming during races. And, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> oh, I talked really? more. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> let it be known that the first call I made when I was going to wasn't actually even my wife. It was I called Morgan, who runs the race. And I said, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I just want to right off the top. Are you cool with this? Because I don't want to be a gimmick. I don't want any special support or help. I just want you to, to be OK with us being out there and doing this. And his reaction like was just the the cherry on top. Like the fact that he has a daughter the same age as Ollie, he rides with his trailer. We just had immediate bond, the two of us. And he was so excited for us. And I was like, Oh man, this is right. Like I always look for signs. You know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people who is like, I just feel like there's just little signs. Yeah. And they just kind of guide you along. And it's like, it's a simple philosophy. And I was, there just was nothing telling us we shouldn't do it except for when I broke my rib the week before and crashed. Um, that was one moment where I had to decide whether, wait a minute, that a sign? But I took that then eventually as a sign of, of enduring. <laughs> I want to share with you a parable I read a uh, long, long time ago, and it comes from Eastern uh, philosophy. Um, but the parable is, a river. if there is a boulder in the middle of a river, the water goes around the boulder and ends up in the same spot. It doesn't go through the boulder. And so... I, you know, I'm, I'm much like you. It's like you can't fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Like, you know, like if you're getting these signs, if there's a big boulder, just go around it, you know. Um, you're, uh, you alluded to your, your broken rib, though. And um, I think that's worth, I definitely want to talk about that. So what, what happened? Well, I mean, I think it was, you know, I was training, trying to get ready and preparing. And then I was like, I was still trying to wrap my head around the 24 hours and the pace and just like, could we do this? And, um, and so I thought I got to go out for a ride, a, a simulation ride, let's call it. And so I put a bunch of dumbbells and stuff in the, in, in the trailer to make it weigh like Ollie. Cause I didn't, I wasn't going to take Ollie on that day. And I went out to a local area near here in Clinton, BC, which kind of had terrain that was very similar to the kind of terrain we'd be riding. I was like, okay, I'm going to ride a course for 12 hours and just see what my time is. And just, I wanted to have kind of a mental peace of mind that this was, this was doable and get in a big training day. And so I went out, everything was great, good start. And then I started going down this hill and it was a little wet and it was steep and it got steeper. And there was nowhere to go to escape. I couldn't, there was a cliff on the right and a rock wall. And I'm like, I can't roll this out. And I was picking up momentum. My brakes were not slowing us down per se. And I kind of let it go too fast at one point. So it was like, I was, there was no reeling that speed back in. And yeah, sure enough, I'm like, I have no idea where this turn is going to go. So I kind of did like a, controlled crash. I just said, I'm going to crash myself. And so uh, pretty much full speed 
went down, hit right on my side, broke my rib and kind of knew right away that like I'd done some serious damage because I had one of those, you know, trying to suck in air and wheezing and the pain was pretty intense. And I remember I was in the middle of nowhere too. And I remember I'm like wheezing and just sound like this dying animal. And (laughs) I heard this farmer yell out. It was just like, I thought I was totally alone. He's like, you know, are you okay? And then for whatever reason, I'm like, (laughs) yeah. And I just like pride somehow kicked in and I just kind of got on my bike and kept riding. And then Uh. the pain just kind of kept going and going and going and going, getting worse. And, and then I'm like, I got to walk out of here. I just go back up a mountain. So it was a really bad day. And, um, and yeah, and it was like a week out from the race. So, um, I was like, great way to go. I'm, we're not doing this now, but, but yeah, I didn't quit on it. And then how I much, how just, much did the, did the film, the fact that you're making a film about this impact your decision to continue on? If there wasn't a film, do you think you might've waited till next year? That's a great question. I think that probably was a variable for sure in that I, it was more, I think the bigger picture of, I had a lot invested in it and the film was just one part of that. To be honest, I would say the biggest part was I already felt this, like the time was running out and that this was my last chance to do this idea, like to do a race with Ollie in the trailer. Like this was my last shot next year. The whole point of doing it now was because he was changing and I wouldn't be able to do it in a year from now. So I think that was the biggest thing was, this is an opportunity I won't get to do again. Sure, you can go back and do another race solo or whatever, but the whole point of, of this was because this time with Ollie in this phase of his life was changing fast. So that was the number one driving force. Um, yeah, I think the film, like, I think having that investment certainly helped, but I don't think it would have, I don't think anybody would have reacted poorly if I sort of said, guys, I can't do this. Like, I got a broken you know, rib. <laughs> yeah, like, I think people would have, like, Brady was just shaking his head going like, are you serious? Like you want to do this? Like he thought we would just not do it. And you know, he's such a great guy and he's super chill and he, he gets it. So, um, but yeah, it was actually, I think, you know, Sarah kind of said it, she made me decide to go. Like I definitely wanted to go. And she was just like, you know what, just go. And if you have to stop, you stop, you're going to regret. She, she said it right, which is I'm I'll regret it if I don't try. And that was really, she said that. And I was like, yeah, that's it. It's just like, this is crazy. Like what's the worst can happen. We've already got a place booked. Like the worst that can happen is yeah, we, we stop and I start walking out of there with Ollie and we, we just don't, we have our, a different adventure. Right. Yeah. And, and you um, already know how to walk with Ollie in tow. So you got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, sadly, I'm, I think I'm getting no, known more for my walking than my biking when it comes to bikepacking, which is the bad reputation. But <laughs> Well, uh, it definitely made for a good film. So, uh, you know, if you were going to add a little bit of drama to your film, you <laughs> certainly uh, did that. And I mean, just as a spectator, like watching, uh, I would, I mean, it was visceral. I could feel for you. You're like, you know, I mean, every time Ollie needed something, you're like holding your shoulder and you're trying to like help him go potty and you're like getting him in and out of the trailer and the entire, I mean, you're riding your bike 200 miles the entire time uh, with a broken rib. So it definitely added a element of drama to the film that 
made it more enjoyable for the viewer. <laughs> or well, I'm glad I could help out. I'm really glad I could help everyone. Out I would have been that, bored otherwise. Was, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, great way, way to go. I can tell a better story, but it was, it was also kind of symbolic though, in a way it was sort of, Hey, you know, it's like that idea of when you having a bad day, you still have to be a parent. And you know, mm-hmm. if you're in yes. pain, I still have to be a parent. And what I was in a way, it kind of helped to be honest, to distract from the pain, which is I could focus my attention back to Ollie and, you know, be cognizant of, I didn't want him to feel like, you know, I didn't want to upset him to make him feel like there was something going on that he should worry about. So, you know, I was honest about it, but I also didn't want to like over, overplay it either. Um, so yeah. I like, I like that because I didn't make that connection until you just said that, but like, because of your injury and those interactions, it, it kind of amplified and really showcased, I am still a parent. I still have to help my kid go potty and get him in and out of the trailer. And it kind of made those moments a little more sticky, if if that makes sense. To- totally. And, I, you know, again, I think with bikepacking is you just really learn how to endure through things. Like there's this rare, it's a rare opportunity. Like in other races, I've had problems you know, sometimes it's gone smoothly and sometimes have problems and, but inevitably you're having to endure not feeling great. And so those experiences over the years sort of really do add up and they teach you to just sort of, I joke with some buddies of mine when we were doing a race recently, it's like, go numb, you know, it's time to go numb. Like when you're in that place where you just stop thinking, stop feeling. And I, I sometimes think like the best bike packers are probably people who can just switch off. Because, you know, you want to be switched on and be paying attention to what's going on. And I think one of my weaknesses is sometimes I can't shut down. I'm I'm trying to pay attention to everything and absorb everything. But really, if I could just shut down and just get through the next, you know, 100 miles without having to overthink it, it would probably be a lot easier. How how painful, how impactful was I've never broken a rib. Just watching it looked very painful. But how how much of an extra uh, extra added element of difficulty did that add to your experience? Well, like the doctor said before, because she she didn't give me an out either. She's just like, well, it's only pain. She says you're not going to do anything worse. So to be okay. honest, that was actually kind of great to hear. I was like, well, because that's something I pay attention to. Like I don't want to be reckless where I'm not doing long term damage. And it's just a bro. It is just a broken rib. I'd broken one before. I'd fractured things before and it's just time they heal. Um, I'm just slowing down that healing process by doing an event like that. So it was, yeah, it was super painful. Uh, again, what was kind of the hardest part was everything around the race, like, like carrying all the gear, carrying all the, just doing all that stuff with one arm was just more challenging. And so when I got on the bike, the first part was quite difficult because it was, I think, really acute at the beginning part. And oddly enough, I think I started to like figure out how to position my body on the bike to kind of like mitigate the, the the impact on the rib. So that was like not hurting as much. And then I think other parts of your body start to hurt. So they take over. So all of a sudden it's like, well, too bad rib. My legs are complaining. So I got to focus on those now. So it was almost like the the pain was distributed evenly throughout my body as I went <laughs> further and further into it. But it was weird because I had shooting pain through my, I think it was one moment where I was like throwing my shooting my fingers out, riding with no arms. Actually it's in the film. And it was like, I was just getting these like lightning bolts into my hand. And it was like, that was a little more worrisome. 
again, because most of it where I was like the, the unknown was that like the witching hour, right? What's going to happen come two, three, four, five, six a.m. Those are like I know in events, like that's when all bets are off. Your body and your mind and your emotions, you can train and plan all you want, but when you get to those points of sleep deprivation, you're you now the best laid plans go go to hell kind of thing. And so both with a toddler and with a broken rib and then the the then just my own in you know my own endurance or whatever it was like i that was the mystery that was waiting for me it was like the dark cave i was waiting for and how is this going to play out and yeah so i always had my eye on that kind of time frame and uh yeah the the rib so i think the rib kind of i just got i'm just so tired that the rib kind of almost faded away a bit I hope that this isn't, I can't help but draw an analogy between, uh, or uh, just notice that you injured your back a week before Tour Divide and you injured your rib a week before Rexy. Uh, I hope this isn't like a new MO that you're like assuming. <laughs> no, and I, I hope not either. And, but, but yeah, I think there was also a wake up, like, that's what I was saying earlier, just about like the divide and about future races, about showing up like healthy, right? Like being healthy and taking care of myself and, and understanding now that as you get older, you have to train differently. And so, um, you know, I, I'm ultra conscious of that. And I think it means tra training differently for sure. And, um, like understanding what I need to do for my body and for my experiences to be healthy. But, you know, I think in both cases, the back was, was, was something that was waiting to happen. The rib was a freak accident, you know? And so I'm able to sort of differentiate the two, but, and I also sometimes like, I have to remind myself that sometimes it feels like, Oh, we're reckless because we have all these things happen to us. But then I also go, oh, wait a minute, I'm on my bike probably 50 to 100 times longer than maybe the average person. So of course, more things are going to happen to me, negative things and positive things, because I'm just on my bike longer. Like, you know, it was funny, the mechanic, when he looked at my bike after the race, he said, he's just like, it was a brand new bike. And he looked at it and he's like, man, it's like, this looks, bike looks like it's now three years old, you know? And it was just like a, a you know, perfect analogy of, what we put our bikes through, what we put the body through, what you're putting the mind through to do long events. And that's, and there's pros and cons to that. You get to have this intense experience that you can never have in such a short period of time that it's invaluable. But at the same time, we're paying a price, you're paying a price for that. And so finding balance, whether it be doing these races solo and doing them as a family, which creates a balance or, you know, making sure we're taking care of our bodies and being healthy is also really important. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the witching hour. Um, you know, I have to imagine that, you know, this is the parts unknown for you and for Ollie. Y'all have done quite a few trips, but you're usually sleeping and camping and stopping and all the things. But now you have a time goal. You're going to pull them through the night. I have to assume that this is where most of your fears and, and or concerns evolved around. And, uh, and I guess, how did it go in reality? 
Yeah, definitely. Like I was, I was certainly again more worried and concerned and thinking about Ollie. I just wanted, I didn't want that part of the experience. I felt like the other parts he would find joy in because he could see things and there would be, you know, more interaction. But the night was going to be different. It was dark. He's not going to see stuff. And is he going to sleep? He, you know, he generally sleeps in the trailer, but he's going to sleep that much longer in the trailer and get bored and frustrated. And how would that impact us? Am I going to get? because I'm tired, am I going to suddenly get, lose my ability to be a good parent, you know? And to be fair, I went in very focused on that. So I, you know, I'm, I am very imperfect when it comes to parenting. Like I I said in the film, like I'm impatient and at home I'll get impatient. And as all parents, we do, right. You just, you're tired and you, sometimes you just want things to happen quicker. or You just want your kids to go to bed because you've got a, a work project you need to, to, to finish. So I was conscious of that. And I think, you know, the great thing about an experience like this is we were only there for one reason, right? Was just to be together and ride, ride the bike and get to the finish line. And that time together, I didn't have the other distractions, which did make it a lot easier. He, you know, kudos to him again. He finds the joy in the smallest things. He was obsessed with his lights. And so he, the whole time was just playing. It looked like a disco back there. Yeah. Like you could see the lights <laughs> flying around and he would we have the only reasons we were stopping is because he couldn't find one of his lights and had to turn it back on. So I was stopping to try to fix his lights all the time. And yeah, he was, he was just finding, you know, things to distract himself. And he, he was for the most part, pretty happy. So it worked out fine. I definitely bonked. Um, I think just trying to manage that distance with the trailer, I'd, you know, I'd done big days before with the trailer and I'd done big days without the trailer of combining the two it was a newer experience and like there's a deeper toll that's taken when pulling that much of a load behind and so i think um definitely i paid the price for that and was sort of had a bit of a bonk in the middle of the night and then had some strange interactions with like the classic sort of we're in the middle of the night finishing something and then there's the people in the middle of the night who are starting something so like these hunters were going out at 3 a.m and these ATVs with huge boombox and lights and passing us and just surreal stuff going on. I mean, that's like sort of the beauty of it is you just see things you'd never normally see because you're just in an environment you wouldn't normally be in. Um, so that was, that was tough. And I, I was just sort of tired and conscious of the time limit, but I also came to sort of this really good Zen place at some point where I was like, and it was kind of part of what I learned from all this was the reminder that the time is irrelevant. Like the time finish line and how if we beat the time limit is completely irrelevant. What was relevant is we were out there together doing this thing. And if we get there today and we get there the tomorrow, uh, that doesn't matter. You know, we're like it's it's just having that experience and the results will just they'll be what they are. And so I started to. I definitely got less anxious about the time limit and was just sort of like, Hey, we'll roll in when we roll in. No one's going to care. Cause everyone's asleep. You know, like that's the sad part of it. I think I was, I wasn't last in the event, I think until about the second checkpoint. And, and then eventually you're just like, you don't feel like you're part of an event anymore. because Everyone's gone. <laughs> you know, like I think the last person, I think I came six hours or four hours after the last, the next last person. So <laughs> wow. we spent the whole time on our own and the last two checkpoints were closed. Like oh my I gosh. showed up 
and they they've left the water container out and there was a little bit left in it, but there were, there was like a camper van and they were asleep. So it was kind of unceremonious <laughs> yeah. in so many ways. But then again, it was just a reminder that I, we don't need those things. We're, we're here together. You know, I gleaned whatever water I could from their little Gatorade canister. And then I, um, we just got on with it. So, um, yeah. And, and never was that more true than that moment when I, I actually thought we could make the time limit. And he, he asked if we could stop to pee. And I was like, yeah. And my emotionally, my response was what I would hope I would have had, which was, I didn't think about us beating the time limit. I was more like, all he needs to stop, let's stop. And I was glad that's my natural reaction. You know, it could have been like, oh man, just hold it. We, we got to get to the finish line. We could beat the time limit, but who cares? Right. So, um, Anyways, yeah. And certainly Morgan's reaction at the end, the race director solidified that for me again, too. Like having him be there awake when everyone's sleeping and hearing his words and what he said to me and the time we got to share that's not in the film after, you know, just hanging out. He whipped up some hamburgers for us in the morning because Ollie had slept in the trailer. So when we finished, he didn't want to go to sleep. He was up and ready for a new day. And here I hadn't slept yeah. for 24 hours. So I was like, all right, <laughs> let's just stay up. And so Morgan made hamburgers for us and, and we hung out and it was like just talking to him as another dad and, you know, his pride and all that was, was great. And, and having the, you know, the filmmakers there, Brady there and Ben there, like sharing it with them again, it was another reminder of that. These things are best shared. You know, and so the challenge of doing solo bike pack racing, you're not getting to sh really share it so much, you know, with as many people. And so that can be difficult. And so I really appreciated the people I was sharing that experience with. And, and obviously, Ollie being first and foremost. You uh, almost took the next question right off my page. But uh, what, so what is a moment that wasn't captured on film, but you wish that was? Oh, it's a really great question. Um, first and foremost, Brady and Ben did a great job. It was challenging for them. They had a, they, they, one of their, sometimes what happens to the filmmakers is, is as interesting or more interesting than what happens to, to racers with these things. Like the challenges that, so I respected their situation as a filmmaker. Like I knew what they were in for and I, you know, I'm grateful for the hard work that they put in because it's a race for them. They're not sleeping. They're chasing me. They blew a tire and, so they were struggling to get back country to find, find me at a couple of places. So, you know, but I think they were able to meet up with me if, uh, uh, enough key places to at least, you know, glean some of the key moments and, and emotions of the event. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't think that there's, there's necessary, like maybe some of like, the lower moments, like when I was like, which is again, running into those hunters out on the trail, like just some of those quirky experiences and things you see when you're out there, maybe a couple more of the moments, just like hanging out with Ollie. Like, I think you see in the film, there's a lot of us either riding or at a checkpoint because that's where the interaction was with him, with Ollie. And there were a couple more of those kinds of moments in the middle of nowhere where we just got out and frolicked and played and looked around and, um, and I think those are, those are gold. Like obviously people are more interested in seeing how Ollie's responding to it. So, you know, share people seeing him 
and even more footage inside the trailer, we're seeing like what's his sort of emotional arc sitting in there. You know, you got some glimpses into it, but man, he was just rambling on and just some of the funny things that he noticed and experienced was, was pretty cool. One of my favorite parts of the film <clears throat> was how y'all interwove uh, Ollie narrating the terrain. It's bumpy. It's smooth. <laughs> I mean, just just stating the obvious. <laughs> just, but it's just perfect. You know, it's. Uh, I, I I mean, from a technical standpoint, I have to ask this question. I'm curious. Did was he mic'd up? How were y'all getting that audio? He was. Uh, we had the GoPro in there for big chunks of time that was just rolling, and so which was like was successful sometimes and not other times. Um, and, um, so we picked up a lot of audio actually from, from that. And so that was great, um, for some key moments. Um, but I wish, like, I wish we mic'd up more because it's, it's completely the way he experiences these things. He like, he talks way more in those situation and matters on. And especially now I'm seeing each time we go out because he's getting more and more articulate. Some of the things he's noticing, like now when we ride to school, like I taught him he's obsessed with the word aerodynamic because I taught him what aerodynamic is. So now when we're riding down hills, he's like yelling at me to be aerodynamic. So we're, you know, we're tucking. And so it's just like, it's great because we can just focus on certain things and learn certain things. And he remembers them and, and he's observing what's going on. Like, um, like the moment it was totally lucky because my wife and I never talk on the phone. And she called me in that moment in the movie where she actually gets her little cameo to talk to us and to Ollie it was completely unplanned, but was for me was so critical as part of the story to be able to weave her into it and his reaction to her. And also that like he was excited to be in the trailer and just get on with things too. And um and I was a little worried because I was like, oh, if he sees mom, is that going to like throw him off? And then all of a sudden I'm going to have That's his... what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I was worried. <laughs> and then when we hung up and he's like, or the fact that he initiated the, the hang up, he's like, we got to go. And I'm like, okay, great. And I hang up and he's super excited. Again, it just spoke to the fact where if we get him out in these environments, you know, he's got so much going on for him that he's absorbed with that. And he's then not needing necessarily all the time as much from us that doesn't mean he's not needy and doesn't go through his moments but it's like we all are you know sometimes we all just want a big hug and uh and um yeah so so that was cool and uh, yeah I, I think having some more interaction at some of the later checkpoints i i, I was longing for like an interaction maybe towards the end and the, the fact that the checkpoints were empty was kind of disappointment disappointing and i don't blame anybody for that because it was like I kind of told the people before I said, don't like, don't worry about us. Like we're self-sufficient. So like whatever happens to us, I I'm in control and you will know if I'm not, I always carry an in-reach with me. It was the first thing I got when we started doing these events with, with Ollie, it was, you know, because it's one thing for me to get hurt and have to drag my body out of a situation. Like if something was seriously wrong for him, you know, it's very different. So, um, you know, I was like, look, just don't worry about us. And, and, you know, if someone isn't there, that's fine. But the one thing now you just, you just reminded me is we did stop at a checkpoint and one woman, and I really wish I remember her name and hopefully she'll remember who she is, but a woman waited up for us 
at this one checkpoint and she did not need to because we had our own bags that we had left there. And I, you know, I just said, let leave my drop bags at the spot. If I come through, I'll just get them. Everything's in there. I don't need anything from your checkpoints, but she was there because they had these Halloween cookies and she had some for us to give to Ollie. And again, just those little moments of like selflessness where she took, like she could have gone home. She was a volunteer, but she waited till like past midnight for us to roll in in the cold and it was damp and cold. And it just kind of made, made my night and Ollie was super happy to get his cookie. And in the drop bag was his Halloween bag, which had a Jeep, which kept him occupied. So it's just, you know, it's those people you meet along the way that it just, it just reminds you of how like there's so much, there's so much, there's so many good people out there, you know, that it's, um, yeah, seeing her and just having that brief interaction and, and that that cookie was delicious was, um, yeah, was just a wonderful little moment I had. And, and it was ours. And sometimes, you know, the fact it wasn't in the film was maybe that's great because it then made it, it made it our little moment that we had, right? It didn't need to be there. People didn't need to see it. I know that. And it goes back to that personal pride thing, which is, you know, I don't always need to know, people don't need to know that we're doing these things. I think the amount of joy and pride you get from them on for ourselves is what it should be about. You know, like if, if it gets to the point where I need people's reactions to justify why I'm doing any of this, then I, I think that's a, a good sign to stop, <laughs> you know, like I should be getting, finding joy from it. And that's, again, I think where the tour divide was a bit of a roller coaster for me where at times I wasn't finding that joy that I usually would find. And so that made it challenging. Yeah. Well, I, I can't overstate enough how much I enjoyed your film. I think y'all should be proud of, of the end result. Um, not just your effort as a father, but I mean, the way you were able to tell the story, interweave Ollie, um, and, and, and it just balanced. It was just so very well done. I, I was, uh, really impressed and I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the cool thing is, is that, you know, you are with that film and with your example, you're able to inspire others, let other parents know this is obtainable. You know, maybe that shouldn't be your main primary driver is to do that, you know, but it, it is a, it is a effect of, of doing that. And certainly I'm inspired by, by watching the film. So I have two things real quick. I mean, one, tell people where the best place is to find the film. Um, again, called Along for the Ride and sponsored by Cycle uh, Salsa Cycles. Um, where is the best place to go check it out? Because absolutely people need to watch this, hopefully. And um, yeah, let's start there. Yeah, so the best place, and to be honest, the only place is Salsa Cycles on YouTube, their YouTube channel. Um, to be honest, because of all the, the awesome music I have in it, licensing is a challenge, so I can't actually show it in a lot of other places. So um that's where it lives and probably will live for a long time. I'm not sure what will happen to it beyond here. I just said it sort of said, I'll put it out there. And if the response is, is, is good, I will maybe consider the festival thing or maybe different ways of sharing it. But um, yeah, salsa cycles on their YouTube channel. Um, and I would like to also give a shout out to sort of the other sponsors as well, like commute and seven mesh and Burley and noon hydration. Um, you know, all of which, uh, sort of immediately were excited and contributed to this and Jilbo as well, the, the sunglass company. Um, 
yeah, everyone was super excited and on board and made the film possible. And Brady Lawrence, of course, who filmed everything, you know, I, I, he was just such an awesome guy and did such a great job of, of in challenging circumstances to follow us. So yes, that is where, uh, you can see it. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. please definitely, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah. I appreciate that. As a, you know, I, I still consider myself new on the content creation side, and I, I've I now completely understand the the real value that that brands have when they sponsor a film like this, and that will live on the internet forever, conceivably. And 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 we can't do these things without you know the sponsors, the companies, the people who are willing to support us. And so, absolutely, plug them, and um, they they deserve it especially when their, their involvement is authentic. Like, and I wrote a, an article about that because like, I don't, I, you know, I know none of the brands that I work with tell me what to do or expect X, Y, and Z. They're just like, tell your story. And obviously they see that I'm someone who wants to share stories and, 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 and that inherently will hopefully bring people who are interested to, to do things, whether it's doing bike pack races on their own or, or doing things as a family. The family thing has become obviously has been defining me a little bit of late, which is great because it's a niche in an area that I hope we can get more people out and the brands recognize that. And they're not asking for anything, you know, special. They're just, they're trying to help and they they're part of a bigger community and being part of that community is feels, feels incredible. And, um, and I think further to that, the the personal reaction I've got from people, that's what I didn't expect. Like I knew there'd be comments, potentially good and bad on the film. Like to be honest, I was so close to it. I, I was desensitized to it as a, as a product and as a story, because like not only was I in it, but I kind of made it. So I would, I was sort of devoid of emotion by the time I put it out in a, in a weird way and was willing to accept how everyone took, took to it. But the personal messages that people have been sending, like taking the time to write me directly and talk about either a, how this movie, you know, encapsulated their last three years of their life or a part of their life and, or has motivated them to go out for the weekend to go do a ride with their kid has been like unbelievable. And has been the part now for me, which is the true reward beyond the fact that like now Ollie and I have a lasting memory that this movie is, is, you know, something we can now, I, like, I can't wait for him to watch that when he's, you know, he's 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, you know, he still likes watching it now and in his own narcissistic way, laughs at all his own little jokes <laughs> and enjoys himself on screen. Um, so, but uh, you know, it's, that's like invaluable, but that, I didn't expect to connect it to connect so much with so many people. Um, and so that part to me, I'm super grateful. And, you know, our hope is we wanted to do some screenings as well so that where we can do some Q and A's and maybe start to get a situation where we can get other families out. It was really important for me to, to give a nod to other families. Cause you mentioned it before there's, I'm not the only one doing this. There's families doing incredible trips, uh, bigger trips than us. And, I've learned from them and we're all sort of side chatting about, Hey, like what, what did you do when the kid transitioned to this age? Like he's, he won't ride his bike for longer than 30 minutes. So do you bring your bike? Like we're all learning like I, every step of the way and it's fun and exciting. Cause I think most bike packers will, will admit that most of the fun is the planning and the 
the, the conceptualizing of trips and the what's next of it all, right? That's what kind of keeps us all fueled. Yeah, you have the idea, I want to do X, but then the puzzle of making X a reality, that's that's half the fun. And whenever you throw your kids in the equation, um, it, it just adds an ex- extra element. You may be interested to know, um, just kind of on the same vein, that you know, as a bikepacking parent myself, uh, with through Bikes or Death, we're going to start hosting uh, uh, kid packing jamborees. And the whole idea is, I mean, it'll be, you know, instructional. We'll have support vehicles. We'll have hopefully like gear you can use. And we'll share as parents like, hey, this is what I did when my kids were three, because guess what? It changes when they're four and when they're five. And and it's a it's a huge, complex puzzle. But I think we're seeing more and more and more uh, parents that are that are doing this, which is exciting. It's um, it's wonderful, you know, and so but there's there's definitely there's a lot of room for growth in terms of the educational component, whereas bikepacking has almost hit mainstream at this point you know i mean manufacturers are starting to build bikes and gear and stuff that is designed specifically for bikepacking you know taking our kids is is kind of the next step in that equation and uh so let me ask you a different question uh what this is a big one so i'll give you a second but what what tips what advice what thoughts would you leave with other families who are thinking about doing this type of stuff, maybe not riding, you know, uh, 24 hour or 200 miles in 24 hours, but, you know, just going bikepacking, going in your backyard, taking your kids outside with the bike. What have you learned through your experiences that you think you would be valuable for other families? Well, I think off the top, it's probably the same advice I give when people react to, to me doing a solo race, a long solo race, which is like the first thing I say to someone, they're like, Oh man, I can't believe you went and just rode that far. And I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, I didn't just get up the the couch yesterday and then decide to go do a thousand. Like I, I built up to it and I prepared and I trained. So to me, it's like, you don't have to do everything all at once. I mean, that coming from the guy who the first race he did was a thousand mile. (laughs) (laughs) Alas, but, but I, I prepared for that for a year. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I put a lot of, like, I was scared. <laughs> so I put a lot of time into that. Cause I was like, I don't want to disappoint all those people who, who said it's okay for me to do this. So I worked really, really hard and I learned a lot and the learning curve was, was huge. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, I think the, the key to that is just start, you know, just go out. And like we, what we did is we weren't doing one week right away. And I would not recommend going and doing one week right away, go out and do Go for a day picnic um, because seven day picnics add up to a week, you know, and that's so it's 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 just go out and have fun and, and get out on bikes because at the end of the day, biking around town, doing things and having bikes in your life every day is just is is really the main thing. And then you'll I think you will your experiences will tell you what's next. You know, you'll you'll come back and go, that was that was great. I want more. Or your kid will say, that was great. I want more. Or they'll show you that. And also sometimes like, like, I think it's, I think sometimes we just have to, like kids aren't going to know you have to expose them to things too. So you have to try stuff. And it's like, again, if you didn't, if he didn't like it, like if he was disappointed, 
but I see him out there. I'm just like, he's thriving, you know, like when he gets out there, he's scared to poo in the city, but when we go in the bush, he'll go out and poo. Like, it's <laughs> the weirdest thing. Like he's, you know what I mean? Like his, his fears are different. He still has them, but like we were just in Arizona riding and it was like 37 degrees and he's out helping me push my bike up a hill because that's what he wants to do. And he's, you know, so he'll, they'll adapt. Kids will adapt. Um, but you know what, if it's not fun, then don't force it. You know, like, uh, like I said, we'll, if all or he find wants ways to, to make it fun, you know, change pivot. Totally. And that's the other thing is sort of think about, you know, before you go, yeah, it's great to have all the right bike packing gear and camping gear, but what are some fun things you can do to make it more interesting when you're out there? And that's why I think the adventure box, which was a great idea from my wife, Love Sarah, that. is Love like that. the best because it's constantly evolving and changing Ollie. It's, it's his. So he thinks he has his tools and trust me, I've used his tools in that box to get us out of some <laughs> predicaments. Like, so I'm actually quite grateful for it, but that's just it. It's like, try to, you know, it's trying to think of things that will encourage him to be a part of the environment and do things like that. This, he's got a string, a rope in there that is, has done and been everything. It's the, it's just one piece of string and I've never seen his imagination soar so much with that thing. He's just constantly doing stuff with it and making up things and it's fantastic. So yeah, I think I liked it's, your Instagram post about it how he uh, summited the, the, uh, hillside, like up a yeah, tree in the gas station <laughs> in the, yeah. yeah. And that's just it too, is he doesn't, he, you don't need to travel all. you don't need to, I get that. Like, you know, we're lucky we have the gear and I know that some of it can be expensive and hard to get sometimes, but you don't need all the gear either. Like you can go and have an adventure close to home. That's just as fun and exciting and interesting. Like we're, we promised ourselves we we're going to try and do more just want like overnighters close to home. Like instead of always having to think of big trips, it's like, well, no, let's just go ride and explore our areas and camp somewhere and just have a good day out because it doesn't need to be a big exotic trip to have fun and have that same experience. So I think, you know, start with those adventures close to home, bring fun to the experience. And then if you're no, if it's just not working, then that's fine. Then either tone it down and don't do so much or, or find something else. But, um, but yeah, start small and, and, and then just see where it takes you and be open-minded really, you know, and, and expect the unexpected. Like the biggest, the most important thing I always add is I always add a flex day and that flex day. So figure out how long you think you're going to, it's going to take you to do each day. And so that you can get to resupply points and then cut that down because you're not going to make those goals. It's, you know, <laughs> you've got to ex ex expect pro more problems and then add a flex day. And we've used it in so many different ways. Sometimes we've used it because we were slow and we needed to, to pick up the pace to get out. So we needed that extra day to get somewhere. Sometimes we've come upon a place that we absolutely loved and we're like, we're staying. And so we'll just stay for two or three nights because we're happy, you know? And then we're like, we don't need to get anywhere. And so I love the fact that it's taught us to, I don't worry so much about, I worry less about big distances and how fast I'm going. It's more about trying to be more in the moment because you have to be, you know? Um, and that's the beauty of having the balance of doing family bikepacking and then going off and doing a race is they're both two very different experiences and Together, I think they can sort of provide all of that we need mentally and emotionally and physically. 
Yeah, I love it. And as we've determined, bike pack racing is essential for you to be able to be a physically fit father and take your kids. So you really have to. Yes, exactly. This, that's the key takeaway. Remember, so we all, <laughs> that's the most every, important. People, people can use that now. I'm, uh, you know, in all of their <laughs> negotiations in the future. But, but there is definitely a, a truth to it, and you have to like. I mean, it's easier for me to be patient when I'm doing a family bike packing trip when I've gone off and done a a race because like then I'm for sure kind of I've done that now and now I'm actually like okay you know what I am super grateful that we get to stop at this coffee shop and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to have two mochas and I'm going to chill out and not be stressed about somebody passing me you know it's yeah, it's healthy it's very healthy yeah balance is a good thing and um yeah. we can achieve it in the outdoors as well well, man, I uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the chat, and uh, like I said, I'm a huge huge fan of of you. I mean, I appreciate what you do, um, uh, and you put out there and inspire me and other people to go out there and ride our bikes and get in the outdoors. Um, you've done a lot more than just this one film, and I hate to take up. You know, maybe we might need to do another one of these sometime because there's a there's a lot we could talk about. But um, as a parent this one really, really resonated with me. And I thought, you know, there, there's value. And I think probably through your response, you maybe became even more aware of how valuable those examples of parents taking their kids outside. And yes, you can do it too. To me, that's a message that I think is, is very important and kudos to you and your wife for uh for taking Ollie outside and and being an example and I appreciate you sharing that with the rest of us and thanks for coming on the podcast man I really enjoyed chatting with you thanks it's my pleasure and thank you to you because you're also the one getting the word out right I'll try to do my little part yeah yeah so, yeah it's great. fun man it's fun get people outside doing something besides getting on Twitter and yelling at each other or something whatever people do <laughs> exactly I did expect a little backlash potentially if people didn't understand our situation to see me pulling a kid out there and uh but i haven't really had any yet so maybe this will <laughs> spur uh some backlash but we'll see but i doubt yeah, it I, I think if anything you've covered your bases i mean <laughs> i don't you know maybe it's just my own skewed perspective but again i mean people have been you know we we've spent more time growing up in the great outdoors without houses and all these amenities than we have with them and you're not doing anything extreme. I really, when you talked about how you were putting the pillows around Ollie's head, I mean, I went through the exact same thing, like talking to my doctor, like, when is it? Because I'm eager. I'm eager to get out there. Like, when is it okay? And let's brace the ever living crap out of their cranium so that, you know, what we're doing is safe because that you want it to be safe. But you also want to take your kid, man. You want to share those experiences. And so, yeah. And and like you said, I mean, there there is this network of parents who were like chitter chattering. It's like, okay, well, how do you do it? Like, what are the logistics? And so the more we can share those stories and inspire other families to go out there, I just, I think it's good stuff, man. Thanks for sharing your, uh, your or adding your voice to the uh, conversation. No, I'm glad to. And if, if anyone ever wants, you know, wants to hear any other hacks or whatever that we've discovered, you know, always just reach out to me. I, I really enjoy people reaching out through social media, um, private messaging, and I try to get back and share what we can because, yeah, it's great. Because like I said, I'm gleaning from others. We're all we're all sharing. Right. And that's what hopefully it should be. 
I've got a five-year-old uh, about to be six. So if you need any tips on the next stage, just hit, yeah. you can hit me up. <laughs> I will be reaching out to you 100% because we're in a weird yeah, transition right now. It's going to be interesting. So <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one real quick. Uh, I went bikepacking with a friend of mine, Sarah Vanderveen. I believe is how you say her last name. Shout out, Sarah. But she's, uh, she, her, her, she's married and her wife does not go bikepacking but they have a three and a five-year-old daughter together and Sarah wants to go. Um, and so one day I took her on, uh, I was doing a bikepacking trip with my kids and I, it's like nine miles to this little pond, you know, th- nothing crazy. <laughs> and, but I was so inspired by her because l- listen to this setup. So she has a three and a five-year-old. The five-year-old is riding a bike. The three-year-old is, or I think maybe two at that time was not riding a bike. And so what she does is carries a double trailer and if the five-year-old gets tired of riding, she straps the bike onto the back of the trailer and just throws both kids in the trailer bike. And so now she's able to, you know, give her daughter that's ready to have that experience of riding that experience while still be able to, okay, you know, hop on in and, and mama's got this. And I thought that was a great, just that next step, you know? Absolutely. Like, that's amazing. That's what I mean. There's just so many people doing amazing stuff, but at the end of the day, they're, they're motivated. She's probably motivated because she wants to be outside with their kids and wants her kids to be outside. And that's, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Very good. Well, have fun on your trip and your uh, happy Thanksgiving to you up in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I love how that's such a confusing thing. It's, I just had never heard of it. So, uh, whatever you said that I was like, huh, I'm going to have to ask him about that. So we have Christmas as well up here. We just have, we throw it on a completely different time. We, we do it a month earlier. We do our Christmas and Halloween and everything, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Crazy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, buddy. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right, everybody, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. I I really like RJ. I like he's a very thoughtful person and uh, really articulates his ideas very well. And I quite enjoyed our chat. I hope you did too. And um, it really, really did inspire me to want to do better with my own children. And uh, last night I, I went on a mission. I was like, okay, I'm going to pick up Sloan. That's my six-year-old. I said she was five in the podcast. That's wrong. She just turned six. I forgot. It happens. Uh, but my six-year-old, I pick her up from school yesterday and I have this idea. I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to say, hey, you want to go ride bikes at Lake Bryan? And then we can watch the sunset and this whole thing. And in my mind, I'm this is a win, you know, and I get her home. And of course she's cranky and tired and doesn't want to do anything. And so, uh, I don't know, she won. Uh, I'll have to try again, but, uh, I guess I listened to RJ's advice and, uh, tried to keep it fun. And, uh, so she wasn't really feeling it even though I was. So, uh, I guess I'll just have to try, try again, but I have, I was definitely inspired by this episode and uh, I'm going to keep trying on Sloan. I think we can get her out there. All right. Well, coming up next, uh, I just got back from riding the East Texas Lowdown, the new route for 2023. And uh, I did record a podcast, so that's coming up next week. 
And uh, yeah, I'll just say it went well, but I won't give away too much. So we'll save that episode for next week. Um, there was a lot of requests for me to uh, record an episode around that trip. And so I did my best and uh, we'll get that out to y'all fine folks next week. Also next week, I'm going to be heading out to Wisconsin to uh, check out the Red Granite Grinder. So I'm excited to be out there. I know uh, there's quite a few listeners that are going to be there that have reached out and uh, mentioned that they're going to be out there and they're going to come say hi. So uh, yeah, if you're going to be in the, in the neighborhood, I'm going to be out there. Uh, come say hi. Love to meet you. And uh, hopefully we get to ride bikes. Again, I'm going to be riding bikes with the group ride on Friday uh, next week, uh, it's, I think it's a 25 mile ride and that one's free and open to everybody. Um, so yeah, looking forward to meeting everybody out there next week. Things going to be a little bit colder in Wisconsin than it is in Texas. So we'll see how this Texas boy does up there in uh, actual cold weather. That'll be fun. All right. Well, listen, I was kind of busy doing a bikepacking trip and doing a couple episodes and trying to get ready to get out on the road. And I don't have a quote this week. So no quote this week. Uh, we'll just skip that. And uh, thank you all for being here. And until next week, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of they made kept you afraid in the morning you packed your bike memories forgotten from the previous night you rode faster than ever before was it your imagination or merely folklore fear turned into strength as you pushed further every pedal stroke stronger and firmer your bike your legs aren't tired You think to yourself Just a few more miles Bikes Oh, death Bikes Oh, death